Welcome homeowners, home buyers, landlords, and tenants alike. People who just want to be better at living in a home. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. Join Madison Radio's Adam Elliott, real estate broker and landlord Ben Anton, as they break down the modern day barriers of home ownership. You'll laugh, you'll cry. And if you're not careful, you'll learn. Come on, baby, won't you hold me tighter than your fists curl up in Thanks for waiting. That was the waiting song from Madison Musician Seesaw. Welcome to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. On the Facebook, at in the 608. Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Ben Anton. And we welcome you to Real Estate in the 608, a podcast where we bring in special guests to talk real estate with us. Special guests, people that we either assume or are quite confident are smarter than we are. It's pretty much you can assume that about anybody out there. We also recap the highest and lowest price sales in Dane County. We're going to enjoy the top of the hour tip and the market update from some of our friends at the Lauer Realty Group. Yeah, one of the folks that we surround ourselves with the aforementioned smarter people is Phil Plord, president of Limling and Associates, a division of Dairy.com. He'll be in with a look beyond the 608 and, uh, and maybe a plug for his new podcast, The Dairy Download. I really liked Phil's addition to our last episode. I was like, you know what, Phil? You were right on the money, dude. Who proves it? He's a gentleman who knows his stuff and does his research. So that is great. My name is Adam. I'm a homeowner teacher. I do user experience at UW-Madison. Also used to be on the radio. I'm Ben Anton, broker associate, Lauer Realty Group, landlord, guy who fixes up stuff. Yeah, the bibs. The Carhartt bibs. Carhartt bibs. That's when I envision you in my head. I always see the cowboy hat and then the bibs. I'm like, there's Ben right there. I can. The cowboy. The cowboy hat has not been getting its due because because of the the masks and I feel a little bit too. Too like bandero. I find it hard to wear a mask and sunglasses or a hat. You're right because you got to like, like too much stuff yeah, on your too face. Too much stuff. Yeah. Well, the, and that's all coming to an end. So it's going to be a return of the hat. Our guest in studio this week will be Matthew Tucker, City of Madison zoning administrator, short of the mayor, one the of the most zone? powerful people in the city of Madison. Is he a power player? You know, you know he's powerful when you don't know. Like, what is the zoning what administrator? What is the zoning administrator? He's got Pretty the much, there is a refrigerator on the sidewalk, and you're trying to give free food away to people. He is the guy. He is the one. You're going to get an angry email from. Um, or if you want to tear down a building and or move it across the street. He's the guy that's going to say yes or no. Oh, okay. Well, let us hope he's got some interesting stories to tell. Ben, what's been going on since last time? (laughs) Since last time, you may have noticed, Adam, as you stepped into the real estate in the 608 studios. It's lovely. There's new flooring in Mona's basement. I saw, I got this video preview, though. I remember yeah, for those, of you, for those of you who follow us on Facebook, you may have seen a time-lapse installation of episode whatever number, Brian Boyd, that was one of the boys. Those are the Boyd the brothers. flooring people, right? They came in and they laid down both some uh, luxury vinyl plank as well as some uh, mid-grade carpet that I think is feeling lovely but in my toes. Nice diehard reference, by the way. It's a nice upgrade to your basement space, which has been, I'd say, under construction it's for a while. A very basement and now it feels a little more home-like. On top of that, I've, I've had some successes. Uh, buyers buyers, and sellers. Uh, the, the sellers, we were oh, always good. doing great. We, I finally got a few of those those really determined buyers found them a, a good place so may is like feeling like the busiest month 
of the year, and it and generally mm-hmm. is, feel like I'm getting the job done. It made me feel like the rest of the year will probably fall into place. All right. Well, since uh, last time for me, another successful semester has come to the close. Uh, students are off to summer, uh, at least at the college level at this point, and like re-engaging in public activities, going to a place where there's many people. The one thing that I did was I went to the Ulbrick Beer Garden and associating in like larger groups was a little bit of like a strange idea, but like... Feels kind of weird. It felt fantastic. It felt like a therapy session actually (laughs) going home. I was like, wow, that was great to see people out in the world. Like, why don't we do that every day? Oh, yeah. That's what's been going on with us. What's been going on from the headlines, man? mentioned that uh, visiting the park was like therapy. It was, really. <laughs> I was I was trying to get some free therapy uh, via a new podcast I was listening to. So here's a little plug for mm-hmm. my friends and clients from Insight Counseling and Wellness. They have started a little podcast about the mind-body connection. And I was listening to one today about adults with ADHD mm-hmm. and then got distracted by it. And that was why we started late. Uh, but at the beginning of their podcast, they said this specifically, this podcast should not be considered psychotherapy. And does not replace the benefits of a one-on-one relationship with a qualified and attentive real estate agent. Um, So I would like to raise that same disclaimer about this podcast, not to be considered psychotherapy. Todd McGrath, you may remember from Union Corners, now proposing a large mixed-use project on the current site of the Coliseum Bar and the Wonder Bar. The Wonder Bar. The Wonder Bar. Mm -hmm. So the Wonder Bar... Was, so it has some history, some like gangster history. It was purchased by mafia boss Roger Tuhi for his brother Eddie to run in 1929. So this would have been like prohibition, post, uh-huh. like sell my right. illegal beer. So the bar sold a half dozen times over the next 50, 50 years. For most of my time here was kind of in flux between the Madison Cigar Bar, oh, yeah. the MOB Roadhouse, uh-huh. the bar next door. Um, in 2009, though, it was again renamed... The Wonder Bar Steakhouse. But so here, so the developers have suggested that it could be saved if they can only find a place for it within a mile. Yeah. So in your real estate mind, I'm trying to read what you're saying. Is this just a ploy to get what they want out of it? I think it's a distraction for the most part. But I mean, what would you do? That's what the mobster would do. I the mean, mobster distract would you to get what distra- you want. Not saying that this guy you. Is. you think this would be one of the things where they pick the building up. I'm always, that would, I'm always that would amazed. That be a thing where they pick the that. building up. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What about the lows and highs? Lows and the highs. The lowest. This felt like a repeat to me. Mm-hmm. And it. But I checked and it? it wasn't. <laughs> it no. wasn't. Uh, 108 North Washington Street in Deerfield, Wisconsin. Four bedroom, two bath, 1,968 square feet. Big house. Yeah. $100,000. Wow. Wow. So, um, so low. It listed for $170,000 in February. And then it took a month. They dropped it down to one sixty to accept it at hundred. That's a miss. That's missing the mark. Is mob involved again? <laughs> it's a bit wonky in his design. You know, nineteen hundred sixty-eight mm-hmm. square feet. But then we also have to think about Deerfield. In some ways, it's the same as like an Evansville. Like it has sure. it has this much of a downtown. Where are you buying your groceries? You're driving to work a little bit extra if you commute to Madison twenty minutes yeah. out. So and you ought, you're driving. Other you ought places. to save a little. But that's still that's that's a big house for a hundred grand. All right. What about the highest? The highest price was a lot bigger. 9,660 square feet. One point. It's a warehouse. $1.85 million. 
So that's okay. big. 29 Turnwood Circle in beautiful Hawks Landing. Okay. Now. Is this golf adjacent, I think? That, well, it's, it's way the heck out there. Okay. And I, be- I believe there may be some, there's certainly a lot of green space. And that's one of the things that kind of made me think it might be okay. Because this house, this big, big house, is sitting on almost an acre. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're not going to feel crowded. You're Like, the scale of it all is going to feel appropriate. Those are the lows and the highs. And from the headlines, in studio coming up, Matt Tucker. I told him about the quiz. And he kind of had this, like, bring it attitude. Oh. So <laughs> there's some ego involved. So we, yeah. Because I said, I said, because I want him to be comfortable. And I said now, because he would work often with uh, with Dan McAuliffe. Yeah. Uh, as well as Marsha. Okay. Two, two of our previous guests. And he said, Ben. When they have questions about history, they come they to me. To, oh, all right. Well, I hope we have stacked these questions and made them a little different. We, we, have, we have raised the bar <laughs> all right. for, for Mr. Tucker. I look forward to these questions. Um, we should take a break, though, first. We'll take a break for the top of the hour tips, some local advice from our favorite Lauer Realty Group agents on how to improve your home or investment property ownership experience. <laughs> Hi, this is Liz Lauer, founder of the Lauer Realty Group. I take pride in having highly educated realtors who are passionate about their clients' pursuits. That passion translates into buying the right home, condo, or investment property, or when selling those same properties for clients, creating a highly stylized marketing plan that yields the best results. The core of the success comes from continually educating ourselves, our clients, and staying focused on key topics and strategies that will help us advocate for them like no other firm. Real Estate in the 608 is a window into our world that gives our listener market updates, current lending trends, home maintenance tips, remodeling help, and so much more. When you need our services, give us a call. Till then, sit back and enjoy and learn. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608 on the phone with us. Lauer Realty Agent Asher Messino with the top of the hour tip. If I was going to list my home, but not now, is there anything I could do now that would better prepare me for when that time comes? Hey, Ben, absolutely. Something good you can do is plan to have exterior pictures taken during a pretty time of the year. So anytime in the spring or summer or even early fall are great times to get the exterior pictures taken if you're thinking you may list in late fall, winter, or early spring when it's sort of ugly out. Some people have really pretty yards in the spring. They have a lot of, you know, spring blooms. Some people have a lot of midsummer and late summer blooms too. So it really depends on your particular house. Thank you so much, Asher, for the top of the hour tip. We'll be back with Matt Tucker in just a moment. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. My name is Adam. His name is Ben. Ben, what's been going on with the house that Rhonda bought? News headlines. I'm grabbing that right off the ticker tape. This morning, which to you and I is a Monday, they dug the hole. I put up a, like a little brief clip on the on the at in the 608 on Facebook. Um, but yeah, the hole is there. Is, like, it, is it a giant hole in the ground? It's not a giant hole. No. It's like a seven eight hundred square foot. It's amazing to see the big, ugly, dirty, muddy machine. The collision of precision instruments. <laughs> 
and lasers where that meets like the excavator with a four foot bucket. Extremely blunt object, yeah. but it needs to be highly but accurate. Also, Two things, as I recall, this is kind of in like a space that's a little sunken down from the rest of the It was kind of a low of spot. Yeah. Did you raise that up? It's going to be that's raised, gonna be raised a little up. bit, yes. And then like there was a concrete foundation to some extent there. Does that, did that go? Is that, that gone was, with the hole too? That was that... gone when they, when they did the tear down in the fall. Okay. My four-year-old nephew, Colton, would be in heaven watching that thing go <laughs> well, that around. Was the, that, was, that was like grown people standing there, like the neighbors are out. And, you know, hadn't seen anybody all winter. I'm happy to stand around and watch someone dig a hole. It's therapy. It's that social aspect of being out with people. That's the house that Rhonda bought. Up next is our guest, Matt Tucker. Come a little bit closer. With us is, is Matt Tucker. He's originally from Madison, grew up on South Seagull Road in the 70s and 80s, a West Sider by birth. He left in 1991 for college. During the summer breaks from college, he worked for Madison Parks East. He returned in 2005 for his current position as zoning administrator and has lived on the southwest side of town in his current house for those 16 years. We know all these things, but do we know if he's well, there's only one way to find out for sure, Ben, and that's to play a game. It's to play a game we call The Way It Used To Be. There used to be, there used to be, there used to be, there used to be, used to be nothing but smiling faces far as the eye could see, car in every driveway, swinging every tree, people can't stop talking about the way things used to be. Welcome, Mr. Tucker. Well, thank you, and uh, thanks for inviting me to come uh, on to your podcast. I, I am pretty excited to be here. I, I really appreciate the opportunity, actually. With a throwback to the movie Back to School and the oral exam scene, I have only one question for you, Mr. Tucker, in 27 parts. <laughs> Each of my questions does have multiple parts. In the 1986 film starring Rodney Dangerfield, Back to School... It was filmed in Madison, Wisconsin. Name the fictitious university that signage hung from the pedestrian bridge connecting which two famous campus locales and across <laughs> which street? Oh, this is, I can't remember the name of the university, but uh, I think it, it stretched across humanities, Phyllis. Uh, was that University Avenue? You know, you're, you're awful close. <laughs> You're awful close. And it was a tough one. Is it one. there? I thought no, that was No, it was the other one. It oh. was from Bascom Hill. Bascom Hill, the humanities, crossing Park Street, and the university was Grand Lakes University. Grand Lakes. Oh, Grand Lakes. I distinctly right. remember this. It was, a, it was a moment of famousness. I remember actually going down on my bike with my brothers to try and uh, stake this out. It was such a <laughs> serious thing. So I, that, it, that was I pretty good. Pretty, I mean, there was that one pedestrian bridge that crossed over university, which they have since taken out. I'm, and Mr. Tucker yeah. probably knows exactly I, the I, date right, that it came yeah. out. But that was, <laughs> oh, yeah. That was, that I remember was like, when it came down. I was I remember all about that. See, um, shutting low, down University of Teardown. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, that's low fruit. We have to take it, <laughs> take it to the next level. All right. On New Year's Day 2001, a prominent music venue, called by some the CBGB of the Midwest, burned down. All right, that's part one. That music venue was replaced by then-owner Kathy Detmers in the 700 block of East Washington in the former location of the... Buy and Soul Shop. Okay, so, you got, so do you remember? Yeah. So the name of the bar that burned down, you got that one? Uh, it was Club to Wash. 
infamous bar oh, scene. Oh, yeah. there was yeah. one on, um, on uh, East Wilson, right across from the uh, Foam Dance Bar. Oh, man, what was that called? I forget. OK's yeah. Corral. OK's Corral. There and you're, doing, you're doing fine, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to the west of OK's at 502 East Wilson was a neighborhood bar called The Comic Strip. The sign for this bar claimed that the tavern featured what nightly? I have no idea what was there. Did that building get burned down when the... Also, also when, burned uh, down. Okay. The comic strip featured live characters nightly. Live characters. Live ah. characters nightly. Okay. All right. Okay. So That's ringing about. But even there, you, you, get, you get some of it right. So... You had like 15 questions in that one question, <laughs> I think. Final question. Originally built in 1917 and demolished in two stages... 1990 and 1996, what single-screen movie theater operated on the Capitol Square at 16 East Mifflin Street? I don't know. That block is the block that has the Mullins Building, and it's right across. It's a. It's one. It's the block that's the corner of Wisconsin and Mifflin, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Zoning administrator um, gets some cred right here. He's yeah. just naming <laughs> stuff around all the corners. Just throwing about it. That's yeah. good. <laughs> it was the Strand. Name the Saturday Night Live movie that the Strand Theater featured in the summer of 1980. Think how many miles is it to Chicago? Yes. Think dark sunglasses. Oh, uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Blues Brothers. Yeah. There it is, right there. That yeah. was great. Well <laughs> done. Uh, ben, I believe in your myriad of questions, I did hear the bell ring three times. You did, which is hear proof the evidence. Bell, the bell rang three that times. Matt is fun. Matt is fun, or yeah. at least okay. Um, or at least, uh, what is it, te- temperate? He's like, te- he's like willing to put... I just want to make sure... Let me make sure that my score was higher than Dan McAuliffe's, and then I'll be happy. <laughs> we'll have to go back to the archives. Hi, this is Liz Lauer, founder of the Lauer Realty Group. I take pride in having highly educated realtors who are passionate about their clients' pursuits. That passion translates into buying the right home, condo, or investment property, or when selling those same properties for clients, creating a highly stylized marketing plan that yields the best results. The core of the success comes from continually educating ourselves, our clients, and staying focused on key topics and strategies that will help us advocate for them like no other firm. Real Estate in the 608 is a window into our world that gives our listener market updates, current lending trends, home maintenance tips, remodeling help, and so much more. When you need our services, give us a call. Till then, sit back and enjoy and learn. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608. It's time for the market update. On with us today, agent from the Lauer Realty Group, Asher Messino, recently featured in the New York Times... Yeah, it was really surprising, actually. So the author from the New York Times called me. She put together a really cool feature. The feature was what $450,000 would buy you in these three different markets. It's a weekly column where she features three different properties across the U.S. um, at generally the same price point. Well, and and tell us a little bit about the experience you had with your listing on Corey Street, and uh, and we can use that as a bit of a barometer for our market update. Yeah, so, I mean, we had a ton of activity on the house, and we received multiple offers, and we accepted an offer that my seller is extremely happy about. So, to wrap up the market update, things are still happening, prices are still going up. There were a few people in the Marquette neighborhood, or probably more the Shank Atwood neighborhood, that that did what I might call shoot the moon. 
I saw one listing come up at $675,000. There have been very few sales, even in the mid, like we haven't really crested mid fives over there yet. There's been a few outliers. There's always a couple houses that that sell for a lot. But here we saw one go up for $675,000. And then in the subsequent days, mimicking that behavior, there were several more in the 600s. Do you think that might mean something? Do you think that we've reached a point where the asking prices now will start to be more similar to the sale price because they're just starting higher? Well, I think that listing prices are going to start you know, increasing significantly as we get all of these sales closed, all of these sales that received multiple offers, the price went up possibly 10 to 20, maybe 25% above the list price. We will eventually start seeing the market pivot and have listings increasing their prices. Now we can't have those listings go all the way up to those top prices because people are on the market looking and knowing when they see a listed price, it's going to go 10 to 20% higher. So it's always going to take the agent and your own experience and understanding of, of value to protect yourself against an ever-changing market. Thank you. <laughs> That's Asher Messina with the market update. Thanks, Ben. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine. For your ears, find us online at In the 608, also on the Facebooks, at In the 608. My name is Adam. His name is Ben. We're talking to Matt Tucker, zoning administrator with the city of Madison. I wanted to talk to you, for the most part, about, about accessory dwelling units. For those who are unfamiliar with what an accessory dwelling unit might be, I'll name a couple uh, alternatives. I'm talking about like a carriage house or, or a, some people might call it a granny flat in the backyard, like a separate structure in the backyard where someone can live. What, what are some of the other names that, that they might go by, Matt? I mean, that's a pretty good series of names. Carriage house, that's common in the West Coast. Uh, alley house is another uh, term that we've heard because mm-hmm. a, a lot of older places had alleys off the back and these are secondary houses that are... Uh, uh, located off those alleys, uh, basement apartment is one that I hear also pretty common. Basement um, apartment. That's, yeah, that's a pretty easy one actually because you're not actually constructing maybe necessarily pouring concrete, framing up and building a brand new building. You're taking an existing part of your house and converting it into a uh, second living space, typically in a lower level. In downtown Madison, we've got a lot of the big houses that were then split into like two apartments or maybe not apartments is the right word. Is that, would that be considered like an accessory dwelling unit that has two separate entrances? No, not necessarily. I mean, the, the truth is they are second apartments without question. Mm-hmm. But the way Madison has them set up, they're, uh, they're basically relying on the use of the property to remain owner-occupied single-family homes that are allowed to have a second small dwelling unit with a limited occupancy, a limited square footage, uh, either as a detached structure uh, in the backyard or in addition to the home or even in the basement of the home, like I mentioned. It's really just a secondary dwelling unit serving effectively kind of the principal structure or subservient to the principal structure. That's Mm -hmm. the best way to describe it. Why would a person want to add those? For a variety of reasons, uh, we've heard that people want to add them for uh, the purpose of being able to generate uh, revenue as the cost of their houses continue to increase, so mm-hmm. they're not basically priced out of their home. 
We've heard him uh, initially being proposed to serve as uh, secondary and private spaces for uh, family members. Maybe there are there are family member guests that they want to come uh, visit. Maybe it's a, a, a child that has uh, uh, needs to be taken care of by the family, or maybe it's an adult that has needs to be taken care of by their children. Uh, there are a variety of reasons. It's, it's, maybe it's just uh, to have a rental. One of the things that, that we can't stop hearing about is affordability. And, and to me, the, the free market guy, that tells me that we need more supply. I think it would be healthy for us to have more. Some people might think that, that an accessory dwelling unit or simply being able to double up the potential occupancy on some more attra- of, of more attractive parcels or in more attractive and sought after areas might be, might be the easiest and most affordable way to do it. Just a- We look at them long term. Like you may say, the story is here's the reason why we would like them, but that's your personal reason, your personal motivation to add the dwelling unit today. Mm-hmm. But this thing will be there for a hundred plus years moving forward, and its use will effectively change uh, over time. That's interesting because, in some ways, the 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 trouble I see with the ADU market is is that we're looking so much at what it does for the owner now, but we're not talking enough about what happens when these properties become for sale. One of the, the other half of this, this, the information that I wanted to gather, Matt, was about financing, not how to build them financing. Right. Yep. But yeah. can I sell this property and to whom can I sell it? As you know, or, or, or may not know, when, when buying a multi-unit home, a buyer, even an owner-occupant buyer, is going to have to come down with significant more down payment than a single-family home. So the trouble with it is that there aren't enough of them yet that an appraiser yeah. can look at two properties and say, this one is worth more than that one because it has an accessory dwelling unit. I you, think what you, you were saying, Ben, is that like there's not enough data. There's not enough places like this in Madison that one could right. make a good assessment to say like, yeah, that's worth my time and money to do it. There's just not enough information. I mean, is that true, Matt? Is there a lot of accessory dwelling units in Madison? Well, there aren't. I would, I would say there have not been. Um, we started with this current system for allowing uh, accessory dwelling units when we rewrote the city's zoning code uh, that took effect in January of 2013. And since that time, we've probably seen about 30 or so, maybe, I don't know, somewhere 25, 30 that have been approved. You know, of that group, I, I've heard this financing uh, a dilemma a number of times. Um, and what we've seen uh, and some of the conversations I've had with people that have, had, that have proposed them is they were not necessarily financing them uh, through conventional financing ways, they were pulling equity out, uh, using other methods to try and finance these things. Right, and, uh, or they were independently wealthy and they could just afford to build it from mm-hmm. scratch. Because these are, let's you know, I've gotten the range on these. You know, the lo- the low end of them is a, is a hundred grand, oh. and the high end is is ranging around two fifty, depending on how fancy they want to build these things. Uh, and I've gotten those quotes from people that have requested uh, approvals to, to try and uh, build them. Builders that have looked at uh, bidding them, they're just, you know, think of it. It's a small 
little single family home. You have to run utilities to it. It has to have its own furnace, water heater, mm-hmm. electric, uh, water service, you name it. And so they're not cheap to build. The one thing that may help us see more of them is that home equity is the first recommended source for financing something that something that will likely increase the value of the property. They're more than willing to give you a loan against the home itself. And the, the uptick we've seen in property values in the last several years is going is going to create it's well, it's creating a lot of wealth. For many, that money is exists now and it did not exist in 2013 and 14. So you're right. making a prediction that more of these will be popping up? I'm making a prediction that if people want them, there's more likely the available the available funds to make them happen. The one reason that I am reluctant to build an accessory dwelling unit here on on Main Street is because it comes with a deed restriction that the home or the accessory unit needs to be owner occupied. Back when the city was wrestling with the matter of uh, allowing accessory dwelling units, uh, it was. Uh, it was a pretty, I would say, a fairly avant-garde concept, and the um, the policymakers, you know, the alders and neighborhood uh, neighborhood association people, were um, they were they were trying to understand what the use was, what differentiated it from a typical rental type property, say a two unit or something like that, um, and one of the things that the city decided on was requiring that either the the dwelling unit, the principal home, or the accessory dwelling unit be uh, occupied by the owner was a condition by which the um, the, uh, the accessory dwelling unit would be allowed. I think the idea is really that fundamental idea about owner-occupants and how owner-occupants are, are around. They're more responsible for their property. They may be more responsible for their tenants. There was a real tangible connection between the extra dwelling unit and whoever it is that owns the property and lives in that that home. Rather than, say, having just a conventional rental property that has a singular two-unit uh, building and then adding an additional unit in the backyard as a third unit. And think about this. I mean, we're talking about putting this in, in every neighborhood. So, uh, you know, Ben, you I know where your home is. Um, it's a, a denser neighborhood. It has diverse housing stock. Uh, you know, you're, it's very walkable. The placement of buildings is generally conventional. Lots are normal, sort of. You know, it's it's not it's not too out of the norm. But uh, take that same you know scenario and think about like like where I live in the southwest side of Madison near uh, Vitense Golf Land. It's a it's a very different place. You know, lots are different sized. Homes are placed differently. The the whole system for how um, you could add something like this to houses in this fashion and not sort of upset the pattern of, of development in these neighborhoods it is something that people were concerned about. Some of those controversial accessory dwellings that we process through the conditional use process have been the ones located in suburban places. Um, I've been to neighborhood meetings where I've been yelled at by people about these things and how could the city allow these to be placed because people are so used to their conventional, normal housing. And it is an alternative uh, type of housing. It is a change to the norm. And, 
you you don't necessarily easily get to uh, buy in on that immediately. It takes some time, and that's why I wish we had more of these. I wish we had uh, I wish we had canned plans that people could come in and just submit that would be cheaper than having to hire an architect or a designer to build these. I, w- I wish there was a, a better way that we could go by uh, doing this. And in fact, we're probably going to be starting an effort this year to relook at the accessory dwelling unit rubric uh, with some alders uh, who are interested in this to see if there is a way that we can streamline it, make it more affordable, make it more conventional, and start to get some actual numbers out there versus this 30 or whatever, which is way under what we had expected when we when we started this back in 2013. What is the difference between an ADU, a totally like lush she shed, we have a lot of these, actually. These are more common that you think than you think. Uh, neighborhoods that tend to be a little more affluent tend to get them. Uh, no surprise, properties that are lakefront properties often have a high level of finish and conditioning on their detached accessory structures, like their garages out by the street. Uh, we, they, these types of things, the way that they're built, they easily accommodate conversion into uh, accessory dwelling units because construction-wise, to even build a building that you're going to heat, uh, you need to build it according to the one and two family building code. You need to insulate or provide uh, frost footings. Uh, it needs to be um, compliant with the energy code if you're going to heat it. Uh, you're falling into the world of a, a uh, habitable structure, even though you're just maybe using it for, you know, I don't know what, extra storage or workshop or she shed, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, the difference is uh, whether or not it's a standalone secondary dwelling unit as identified by the city uh, for occupancy, which is basically living and sleeping domestic quarters for a family. Uh, and um, those have, uh, they have both building code requirements, which are typically met and zoning requirements. And I'd say the kicker, if you're trying to say what is the line in the sand, it typically is whether or not there's a kitchen in the in the space and whether or not there's uh, 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 furniture and other types of things that are designed to allow someone to sleep in the, in the space. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608 Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. His name is Ben Anton. My name is Adam Elliott. Our in-studio guest today is Matt Tucker, Zoning Administrator with the City of Madison. We're talking about accessory dwelling units. Kind of a boring name, but a very interesting topic. It's not like Greg Brady getting the attic renovated, but it's more like the other sitcom where the kid moved out of the house and got an apartment in the garage, which I believe was Growing Pains in the Seavers. As long as he had a kitchen in that apartment above the garage. That's what we're calling an accessory dwelling unit. Sometimes people call them mother-in-law houses, carriage houses, granny flats, a basement apartment sometimes. And Matt, you, you had mentioned something earlier about the city's kind of rethinking this topic here. Housing is obviously hard to get right now in Madison, right? There's a lot of demand for it. Is one of the topics here like density and not speaking of the thickness of Ben and mine's brain here and trying to get concepts through, but like the how much space is there to for people to live? And like if there is an accessory dwelling unit on existing land, then we're actually creating some more housing. 
Yep, that's very true. As as you you guys know, the occupancy rate in our community is extremely low. And so the city has been looking at a number of initiatives to increase housing. Pretty high-profile conversations are happening about increasing the allowed density in multifamily districts, which you, you may or may not be aware of. It's something I've been working on extensively uh, over the last several months. But at the meeting where we kind of introduced that topic, one of the agenda items was also uh, the rules for accessory dwelling units because I think it's sort of recognized that um, it's a fairly bureaucratic process and um, we don't have an easy straight shot towards a simple approval, which really increases the costs and makes it more challenging, makes it political. Mm-hmm. It pits neighbors against neighbors. There's just a lot of reasons why it, it is, has been seen as something that we maybe could do better. And so uh, there are a, a series of alders that are interested and they've asked me to uh, put on my work plan. Uh, this topic uh, for a policy review, and I'm anticipating we're going to be probably seeing some changes to the policy, uh, things like allowing some form of these things by right, so you can skip the conditional use process, which is a way that you can save time and money. But all that is sort of speculative with the through the legislative process to see what the what the policymakers ultimately kind of decide they want to do with these. This is exactly one of the points. When we introduced accessory dwelling units, first time it got introduced in our zoning code, there was this crazy requirement that we had to do a neighborhood plan and it had to be eight block faces if you were going to allow them. You had to do all these, you had to create an overlay zone. It was absolutely obtuse, okay? And in the, at the last second, a group of alders came in before the ordinance got adopted and rescued it and said, no, this is not how you're going to encourage these things that we want to see. Uh, to be allowed. So they chose the path that's there today. So here we are now, uh, nine years past that, eight years past that, whatever. And these things take time, especially in this community. This community, people are reluctant to make changes, no matter what they say about this being a progressive place. They're reluctant to make changes like this. And so I think we can look at what we've got up to this point in time. And I think things are on the table, like getting rid of the owner occupancy requirement. Because if we're going to get serious about adding housing, we're going to have to rip some of these Band-Aids off. That might open it up to the to the people with the money. So if right now we're not seeing that the average single-family homeowner in Madison feels they have the money to add an accessory dwelling unit, it might also open up, all right, sometimes I say things, and then like 10 years, several years later, I think, wow, that was smart. So what I'm hearing you say, Matt, is that there is a hole in our market for a design-build company that can make turnkey accessory dwelling units that can that can say I have plans for an accessory dwelling unit that have that are that have been approved three times over by the city of Madison and that I can construct for X amount with this level of finish or X amount of dollars for this better higher level of finish when do you want me to start yeah I mean that, that's very true if you look at some of the peer cities that were asked to kind of compare ourselves to where we, we sometimes look at in, in regard to our housing policy, like uh, Austin or Seattle or Portland. I mean, you know, those are very different places, but that's what they have. Like the, the Austin model is set up off of a, a, 
uh, uh, an allowance actually tied to something that they have in their state law that lets them do rent control, lets them require affordable housing. We can't do that here in, in uh, Wisconsin. But their um, ADU uh, program is tied to uh, affordable housing for a period of time. You basically can build this building if you build it this way, one of the four designs or whatever it is, and if you agree to restrict it to be affordable for a period of time. I think it's like five years. Uh, the one in uh, Portland, I think you can like order the things and they come on a flatbed and like <laughs> they just set them there. It's like beautiful. And those Amazon are, like, the alley delivers house. them to you. <laughs> oh my God, yes. Why not, right? Order it up. I mean, this would be wonderful because, you know, I don't care. I, they're not, any, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder in many ways on these things. You can build a... 24 by 24, 412 Menards garage with vinyl siding, buy right at your house. And, you know, some people think it's the greatest thing ever. Some people think it's terrible. Probably inappropriate in, in a historic district or a place with <laughs> their high design or the Highlands or Nakoma or something like that. But, you know, a basic can design for the building that could go anywhere. Like these, many of these neighborhoods that we built from, you know, the 1940s up till, uh, up till now would probably be ju- just fine. Uh, you know, and if if people could live with a, a single design and didn't customize it much, it could probably get through the, the code review par, uh, process pretty simply, if not literally taken off of the shelf and handed to the code reviewer and, and say, give me a permit for this thing because it's already pre-approved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to happen. And I think it's going to be smart people like you and some of our new alders uh, that make it happen. You've got the seat now, Matt. What do you want to tell the people? What we do touches more people, I think, than, uh, you know, folks realize. You know, they think about big redevelopments and all the, the, the glamorous things that happen, downtown construction. Pretty much everybody in this city at some point in time is going to want to build a porch deck, patio, ADU, sure. addition, mm-hmm. finish their basement, you name it. Most of the people live in a situation that's going to come in and interact with us. And, you know, I look at, at some of the things that we do that, and I try and see, like, what's going to be the best bang for the buck. You know, I think these basement apartments, uh, you know, for I should probably say for, for decades, my office has been kicking out illegal basement apartments from single family homes that we've stumbled into. It is like one of the most common things that we, we do or have done. But these amendments are taking a fresh look at this and, and recognizing that these things might be just fine. They're going to have very little, if, if not no impractical impact in these neighborhoods. You barely will notice the density, and the allowance is going to affect so many properties. The majority of our city is in zoning that allows this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And if we can find a way to get these in here and getting, getting them in, in, get them in easier, it's going to have way more practical effect, I think, than – you know, some of the things that I hear people are doing across the country as progressive housing policy. I do stumble into finished basements, second kitchens. We allow two kitchens in a single family dwelling. You can do it. Well, that you must- just can't have roommates. You know, there's this, there's some funny rules. Those are things we also need to look at. I've, I've talked to some alders that uh, are very interested in our, our ordinance that regulates the occupancy of dwellings by families. I mean, what is a family? What is a family to you guys? It, you know, a family is so yeah. different than it was, you know, in, in the 1960s when this, when this situation was set up. And it was set up prim- primarily to relate to students and groups of young people living together that were incompatible with uh, families that lived in neighborhoods typically. But, geez, I mean, you know, 
it's just not the 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 definition of a family and uh you know domestic partnerships and mm-hmm. um extended families living together it it's just not contemporary i've so. probably sold a few places in the st mary's neighborhood or you know south of campus there where where the yep. number of unrelated individuals living in that home was likely exceeded that of the zoning um, well, yeah. family is what you make of it, I suppose. It's your <laughs> insert your own definition if you want. Well, well, we in Madison can help you because we have it. <laughs> you know, we've seen it being used by people that were effectively discriminated against people of color. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. uh, immigrant families that come here or or uh, similar types of situations. Also, I mean, that's very obviously the complaint we get. Uh, it's not unusual for us to get a complaint, a complaint about a group of. Hispanic uh, uh, people that are living in a, in a family, I mean, they have a, tend to have uh, larger families, more uh, events, activities, whatever. We get a complaint from some, you know, a typical, what I would assume is a, uh, a Caucasian person or family, and they're saying, well, there's a lot of cars there, and I don't know who lives there. And we, we've noticed, my staff have come to me and said, they think it's more about, like, racism than it is about occupancy mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, well, it's and the same cultural reason. differences. Right. It's the know? same reason that the ADUs might not fly. I wonder if that, if there's part of it at the core, you know, like if it's, if it's those, uh, we've, we got unpleasant a couple times and we talked about restrictive covenants and deed restrictions as they relate to the, to white supremacy and the, and the, the continuation yeah. of, you mm-hmm. know, how much, we have to be careful with with the rules that you write to make sure that there aren't any unintended consequences. That's that's a whole that's a whole other show, man. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge topic, and uh, you know we we touch on a little bit of that stuff. We've been doing a little of that with the things with these amendments that we've been working on, and people that are curious can kind of tap in and see. Um, it's a pretty interesting time to do the work we do. Uh, I'll say that. Going to the bar with the money from a jar Walking there because I'll have a problem with the car Gonna take a sip, gonna take a little trip Gonna purchase tea and whiskey, gonna leave a big tip It's time for Phil's phone-in. Phil Plort is my business partner in Deacon Housing, president of Madison's Blimling & Associates, a dairy commodities consulting firm, a division of Dairy.com, and host of the brand new podcast, The Dairy Download. Keeping an eye on the faraway and diverse markets is what he does. Seeing how it might affect real estate here in Madison is what he does for fun. Here he is with a look beyond the 608. Hey, Ben, it's Phil with a view from beyond the 608. A few weeks ago, I started making a list of things in short supply in the United States these days. Stuff I was hearing from my customers in the ag and food sector. Newspaper headlines I came across. It didn't take long for the list to fill both sides of a large index card. It included, in no particular order, chlorine, wood pallets, computer chips, silage bags, salmon, chicken wings, lawnmowers, contact lenses, lumber, resin, aluminum cans, cheese packaging film, labor, shipping containers, tires for irrigation pivots, truck drivers, new cars, used cars, rental cars, wedding venues, and last but not least, Chick-fil-A sauce. Personally, I'm fascinated by how shortages and higher prices shape behavior. For example, not long ago, I was speaking with procurement executives at a fast food restaurant chain. We were talking about the trouble sourcing chicken. For many, here's the natural instinct in that situation. Buy extra. And everyone doing that looks smart for a while because, as you might imagine, with several buyers looking for more chicken, the market gets shorter and prices keep going up. Instant validation. 
but eventually we get enough chickens or two by fours or shipping containers. Higher prices encourage additional supply, discourage incremental demand or both. And you know what happens then? The downturn is even worse because everyone bought too much on the ride higher. So buckle up, Ben and Adam. The ride is going to stay interesting. That's all for now. Until the next time, this is Phil with a view from Beyond the 608. There's no way. listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine. For your ears, find us online at In the 608, also on the Facebooks, at In the 608. My name is Adam. His name is Ben. We're talking to Matt Tucker, Zoning Administrator with the City of Madison. And it's time for one more thing, Matt. Our additional dwelling units, what we've been talking about today, and Airbnbs, the same thing? They are not, but the issue often comes up when we're talking through the the process, the public side of the process for approvals for these, because um, people have come forward, they have disclosed and been pretty open about their interest to to use these dwelling units for uh, short-term rental. Airbnb is is just a company. I mean, we call them Airbnbs, but they're, a, right. they're basically one of the biggest companies. You know, VRBO, Couchsurfing. There's a whole bunch of them. And uh, so we commonly use the term Airbnb, but um, the city's the city of Madison's specific rules are pretty limited in uh, the use of dwelling units for the purpose of short-term rental. And um, so what's you know a lot of times people have come to me and said, yeah, I'd like to do this ADU, and I think it would be a great income you know property for me because I'm going to run it as an Airbnb and. We know how lucrative the Airbnbs are, but um, the city's policy that they've adopted is is, is basically allowing um, the Airbnb rental within the dwelling unit that the person occupies, like whichever one they live in. So uh, they live in the home; they could have it be in the home. If they lived in the in the the uh, the ADU, they could operate out of the ADU. Uh, the reason being is is to try and not commercialize the housing stock in the city to kind of keep the the housing stock residential. Uh, that's that's one of the that's probably the easiest reason. I mean, there's a whole <laughs> bunch of other reasons why. When we we wrestled with this policy just last year, uh, and we know that it's um, it's uh, it's kind of a controversial thing uh, because you're balancing you know property rights. The city's hope to increase its its housing stock for people who are coming here to live. Uh, with the accommodations industry, people that are trying to bring guests and have them uh, have places to stay and have a more intimate setting. Okay, so that's uh, that's the why is like you're trying to make that balance in between people who do want to do short term rentals yep. and those who are just owning. Yep, and every 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 uh, every uh, ADU that we produce that gets turned into a short term rental is not adding a dwelling unit to help with our housing crisis. It's it's just adding a hotel room, if you can think of it that way. Sure, like, right. So what you're telling me, Matt, <laughs> is that I can have a really nice finished garage that was built to the proper single-family code, but as long as it doesn't have a kitchen, it's not considered an extra unit, and therefore I could Airbnb it out. Because it's Kind of. I mean, yeah, you're <laughs> on the whole thing, okay? And I'll tell you, I... I, the, what we do, one of the things we do in, with our permitting for uh, short-term rentals is we go out and we walk through them. And I have walked through some 
that are just set up fantastically. They have they have a semi-private area, kind of like the mother-in-law suite that we were you know talking about earlier, for a guest to stay in. But it's part of the person's house. Uh, I've seen them built from scratch this way. I've seen them remodeled this way. I've seen people use uh, their finished basement areas for this purpose. Uh, they work great, but what they're not doing is creating another dwelling unit that is being taken off of the rental market. They're just using a finished space within their dwelling unit. And I mean, there are some, there are some ones that I look at and go, holy cow, that thing's going to make your mortgage payment plus times three <laughs> times four, pay your taxes, you name it. And just because they, they designed them so well and, and they would be places that a person like me would choose to stay in. I would love to stay in a place like that as an alternative to uh, potentially staying in a, in a, in a hotel room as, as just another alternative. Sure, you but- can do it. Our office helps people with that. It's one of the things that we do. Maybe that's what Ben's fictional startup company, who's going to come and make these things, needs to use. Like, here's the template. <laughs> this is the one that Matt likes. That's going to work for you, too. <laughs> we call this the Matt Tucker. Yes. <laughs> hey, hopefully, I, I'll take a street name or something like that before I'll, I don't want to be named something like that. That's probably a little bit more controversial. Is this the main event we haven't Controversial. Why? Why is it that when and this is more of a general question uh, than specific to any litigation in process? Why? It, why when someone sues the city, do they throw your name on there? Like is that because <laughs> is that is that because you offended them in some yeah. personal way? Like suit? You know, like uh, maybe Edgewood High School versus know. the city of Madison. And Matt I don't Tucker. Know. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, it's pretty amazing. Like, I, I feel like I'm the most sued employee uh, <laughs> personally. My name is, is, is famous for lawsuits or something. I, you know, I, it's, it is what it is. I, it's, uh, uh, I guess they want to memorialize me in case law somewhere, but uh, it is sort of a funny thing that uh, the kids ask me every, every, they ask me, how long is it going to be before you get sued this year, dad? And I'm like, oh, I'll have to wait and see how many days. <laughs> oh, well, so I hope- and just to be, just yeah. to be lumped in with like a government entity, like, yeah. And Matt Tucker. <laughs> we, we, just in, just in case, just in case the jury or the judge or the 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 decision will be different, because we've included this this guy who's working for the man. <laughs> like, what's going to change? I, oh. I will say this, you guys. Like, I've been selected for jury duty. Um, I had a federal jury duty panel that I was asked to be on, like last year. I didn't make it. I don't know. It, I was out of there so fast when they had to say, like, are you involved in any lawsuits? And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. Uh, one of them is on the docket in your court, Judge. Uh, yeah, that was well, well uh, a little secret. If anybody wants to get out of jury duty, just become a person that gets sued a lot uh, or named in lawsuits, I should say. Oh, right. uh, Matt, it has been a pleasure talking to you today. Uh, my hope for you is less lawsuits in the future and maybe more decorum and people not yelling at you. I mean, be nice to the zoning administrator sometimes. That's okay. Right? No, no, they can, can they can vent with me. I'm you good can with take that. it. It's, Adam, I Adam actually it. came in just so just so you know, Matt. Uh, Adam came in mm-hmm. and he goes, "I've heard of this, Matt Tucker. Uh, Adam's partner, Lindsay Lemmer. Oh yes, uh, yeah. gave oh. gave you the tip of the hat. Said." Mm-hmm. They'll say, oh, you'll like really? him. Yeah. That's right. Yes. Yeah. My, my partner is Alder Lindsay Lemmer from District 3 on the East Side. She spoke very nice. highly of you Um says you do fantastic work for the city. So there's a, a ringing endorsement, I think. 
Yeah, she's been great to work with. I'm. Uh, uh, it's good to make the connection with you two. That's wonderful. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for joining us. Who, which is, there's going to be someone who listens and says, you know what, I'm doing it. And, and and that will be another project we'd like to follow along. We've been almost at a fool's oh, errand sure. following along with the house that Rhonda built or bought or tore down. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> today, today they broke ground. It'll happen. It'll oh, all happen. Thank you again, Matt. You have a great evening, and, uh, sure. and we'll talk to you soon. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608 Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. Ben, what was that? That was City of Madison zoning administrator. Guy who knows how to take a joke, even most when likely, being sued. Mo- class, <laughs> class of 1991 mo- voted most likely to get sued along with the city, <laughs> Matt Tucker. So the topic well, of uh, accessory dwelling Accessory units. dwelling units. And yeah. that was, I love the idea of it. And the fact that they're thinking critically about making some changes that will make it even more uh, appealing and accessible. I think there's, I think this is, we, we are on the front of this and I, I'm making some, I made one bold prediction earlier that there will be in time in, in the not too distant future, there will be a, a company or a free market solution that finds, that finds this hole in the market and starts making some serious money by, by putting and, and making a lot of these accessory dwelling units part of your neighborhood. So some disruptors out there that could do the work. I, There's I, money to be made I feel and like... problems to be solved while doing it. I mean, that's my whole life. I help people solve problems and and it, and I get paid to do it. It's the perfect, <laughs> you know, like that's 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 not disrupting. That's that's smart. I feel like these fit the bill of my mother's threat to me, who's always said, like, I'll be moving back in with you at some point. <laughs> Don't forget it. You know, a great topic, something that we're probably going to be seeing more of, or at least hearing more I would about like planning to. for it um, in the future of Madison. So good stuff. People want to learn more about real estate in the 608. There is a newsletter. There is a newsletter to learn to, uh, as, as part, you know, I sell houses. I, I'm not just a fun guy on the podcast. Um, but I, I send a newsletter to all those people trying to keep their fingers on the pulse of the Madison market. Uh, and, I, and it includes things like uh, a market update and uh, some homeownership tips, uh, s- sometimes a, a word of the wise from Phil. It's just a different way to be reminded of some best practices. Uh, the 22nd read arrives on the 22nd, is written in easy-to-digest segments, taking no longer than 20 seconds to read. Uh, you can sign up for that on Facebook at In the 608. One might call it a podcast for your eyes. It's a podcast use. for your eyes, which is clever on account of the um, magazine for your ears. Which part, is real like, estate yeah. in the 608. Yeah, so it's like, it's a, it's a multi, multi-sensory multi experience. It's a great pyramid scheme you got going. <laughs> Let's do some thanks once again going out to Matt Tucker, zoning administrator for the city of Madison, uh, a fantastic sense of humor, and a very informed person as well. Yeah, and and, and God, his, his evenings are probably all full of like, Zoom neighborhood meetings. So I feel special that he even just gave us the time. Uh, thank you to our musicians and our bands in the 608. Including Renclaw, El Donk, the Oak Street Ramblers. Bob Westfall, Seesaw, and the Mad City Jug Band. And a significant thank you to you, the listener, for joining us at Real Estate in the 608 today. Thank you much. Thank you for listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. Real Estate in the 608 is a podcast for homeowners, home buyers, landlords, tenants, people who just want to be better at living in a home. 
If you can't get enough real estate in the 608 between episodes, like us on Facebook at In the 608 or visit inthe608.com for archived episodes and show notes. Remember, until you tell us, we don't know. We appreciate your listening, as well as your ratings and reviews at your favorite podcast portal. We also welcome feedback and topic suggestions via email to ben at benanton.com. Come on, baby, won't you hold me tighter than your fist curled up in a schoolyard fight? I'll be a backup when you're calling my name. And come on, baby, won't you keep me safer than that high score on that? Could be taking names, and we could be record breaking. Come on, baby, won't you buy me flowers with that money spent on whiskey sours? Did you buy in at those wasted hours? And come on, baby, won't you talk me sweet? Instead, I'm staring at this empty seat because you got someone else you'd rather be. And we could be. So I'm singing you this waiting